0: Hello, my name is Dylan C and welcome to the 21st episode of Night Reader Podcast, a show of inspiration and love for literature, a combination of history, storytelling, society, education, and so much more. This project is such a wonderful outlet of passion for me, and I love sharing my thoughts and insights with readers from around the world, as well as hearing and speaking with all of you about what books have inspired your lives. In these Moby Dick episodes we celebrate the wonderful writings of Herman Melville in a way that can help anyone understand it without forcing any opinions or insights upon the listeners. Not only that, but I'll bring it to life with original music, voices, sounds, and cultural, historical insights and explanations, including sometimes hard to follow references or language. This show is for everyone, the young listeners who need to read it in school and don't really want to the people that were forced to read it and were left with a bad taste of blubber in their mouth the people who want to read it but find it too daunting the people who know and love the book to no end there's something to be gained from every listener with this show so please join me today just a few days ago was herman melville's 201st birthday it's just remarkable every year i do an homage and short reading dedicated to him where I salute him and speak about his life and writings in an honorable way. Last year's live was actually my 10th episode, so you can listen to that whenever, right here. For the other day's live, it's available on Facebook. It was a great little live session and a special remote location in San Francisco. Thank you to the venue for inviting me and allowing me to do my show from there. Definitely go check it out. Last episode was a beautiful Your Favorite Reads episode with the Get Lit podcast, and I gotta thank them again and all the contributors. Thanks for stopping by the keep and the episode was fantastic. So Moby Dick continues on. As we last left off with a bit of a cliffhanger, as we looked at the first lowering, the crew is all up in arms as a group of sperm whales is spotted by Tashchigo and all crews are ready for a chase. But, before anyone could properly lower, an entire boat's crew comes up from below deck, a crew that had never been seen until now. By anyone else aboard the Pequod. It seems Ahab had a private crew stashed away, far below in the hold. We have yet to meet this crew. A striking group of men. This is interesting because the captain would hardly ever lower for the chase of a whale. But we all know why Ahab is lowering. Out of his terrible lust of capturing and killing the whale that once maimed him. And so this crew must be full of elite harpooners and rowers. We will meet them today, and we'll also experience the remarkable whale chase scene. I'm so glad you've joined me today, so sit back and relax and let me help to contextualize a lot of what's being said in the story at this time. This crew has revealed a couple of secrets from past episodes to us. Firstly very early on when Queequeg and Ishmael first signed their lives to the Pequod for this adventure. On the day they were set to leave port they arose very early. You'll remember their couple of run-ins with self-pro- self-proclaimed prophet Elijah and the striking conversations had with him. You will also remember that when Ishmael rose extra early to go towards the Pequod, he saw a group of men in the distance, a crew in the mist, heading towards the Pequod as well. But upon arriving at the Pequod and asking the owner where the crew had gone, they were told no one was there. No one else was around but them. But Ishmael was sure that he saw somebody. These are those men, stashed below in the hold all this time, just waiting to be called up for the first lowering. Now, only a couple of episodes ago, we were met with a small scene of two sailors passing along, some fresh water and buckets below deck. One of them heard a coughing and a rummaging from below in the hold, while the other told him he was just hearing things. We now know what these sounds were. Ahab's private crew, undoubtedly. In fact, Let's hear directly from Ishmael, his discovery and feelings here, as his daydream-like trance is broken at the shout for whales and heard by the entire Pequod's crew. shipmate. Aye. That day as Kwikwik and I poured over the mat, the entire crew lay in a dreamlike trance. I was shattered from my reveries by that resounding wild voice. <laughs> and he had seen a pod of sperm whales. I dropped the lines in my hands and jumped to work with the rest. All hands freed from the lines of the small boats, and in the rush and flurry, my heart in my throat, I pulled along with the men next to me. The crane swung out, and the eager crew gazed out with salt on their lashes, with one foot on the gunwale, Aye, all was alive in us. Soon, the boats were at the ready, as Ahab stamped around. The three mates and their crews would be down in the water, giving fiery chase to these whales. One that in Ahab's mind would hopefully be Moby Dick. It was then I turned my cheek towards the sun and I saw a crew of private agents. These five dusky phantoms, as they stood beside him, began lowering. But the captain never lowers for chase. What of this then? who are these mysterious men? This crew... Could they have been the shadows I saw that morning on Nantucket? Aye, it seems so. Well, no thought of it now. It's time to chase. Aye, coming! Ishmael and everyone seems to be at a loss, but there's no time for this, not in the heat of the moment. It's time to give chase, and so we are introduced to chapter 48, the first lowering. These, quote, phantoms, unquote, ready the spare boat that is sometimes called the captains, since it's close to his quarters, but it was never meant for a captain to leave his vessel We know Ahab does not abide by many rules unless they are in his favor. Now we're going to meet a very intriguing and important character amongst this phantom crew. One that will inject much mystery and emotion into the story. A man unlike any we have met so far in this story. It's been brought to my attention recently, the aspect of prophecies and prophets in this story. Something I've spoken of in early episodes. A prophet, or someone who is hyper-aware or knowing something that the rest of us do not, whether it's through a higher perception or something delivered from a deity. There are many different meanings and outlooks on the word when it comes to people. We think of Elijah when I speak of prophet in this story. Some people think of Ahab as he seems to self-prophesize and believes strongly in his own words, the way he says he would strike the sun, the way he seems to be writing his own text upon the world and following it in a self dictatorship though some give much merit to his prophecies this is something we cannot discuss until the end of the book but i bring it up here because it has been said that this character that i'm about to introduce is the truest form of a prophet we get in the whole story to me that just means he is the most perceptive but there are many small instances. When he is shown having deep feelings about what's to come some of the truest in the entire story we will come to them as they approach but for now just know that this man is perceptive in some ways more than ishmael even to the futures and fates of the entire crew especially ahab i'll be sure to bring these instances to your attention as they occur so we're met with a description of the leader of the crew so unlike anyone we have met yet, and so mysterious. I might as well give you his name, Fidala, a tall figure of darker complexion, with one sharp tooth protruding from his steel-like lips, a crumpled Chinese jacket of black wool covering him, and he wore wide black pants of the same cotton. Atop his dark form was a white turban, with his hair entangled and spun up into it, with strands emerging here and there, this man's companions were not as dark-skinned as him. More of a vivid complexion that Ishmael says he knows to be of aboriginals. And these men were not very highly regarded among sailors of other races. We are told this band of men, including Fadala, are of some Pan-Asian descent, most likely Filipino or Chinese. As Ahab asks Fadala if the boat is ready, was shown the first dialogue from him that is described as half-hissed. A reference to a snake right away he says the boat's ready and ahab orders him to lower away so we have three small boats one for each mate sarbuck flask and stub all have their own boats most likely cutter size row boats but fitted for the hunt each mate has his own crew of harpooners that he commands the fourth boat is Ahab and his crew. As we know, Starbuck's crew consists of Queequeg and Ishmael has gone along as a rower, it seems. Ahab orders the three boats to spread out wide as they're in the water now, leaving the Pequod behind them. But still in shock from seeing the new crew, they did not heed this order well. Most men were trying to get a better view of the new crew. Starbuck, being very careful and wary as always, Calls to Ahab as if to ask a question regarding the crew. But of course Ahab ignores this and and instead gives another order to spread wide. Little Flask obeys and pulls his crew wide. We learn that in Flask's harpooner crew are the two random sailors we met from a few episodes ago. Archie and Kabako. They were the ones who heard the noises below in the hold. Flask tells them to quit staring and focus on their rowing. Archie replies that he doesn't mind the men, he's known they were there the whole time. Now our camera pans over to Mr. Stubb's boat, and he uses very colorful and uplifting language with his crew, pushing them along in a merry-like, sing-song manner. Pull, pull, my fine hearts alive, pull, my children, pull, my little ones. Ah. Why don't you break your backbones, my boys? There are only five more hands to come help us. Never mind from where. More the merrier, huh? Never mind the Brickstone. Devils are good fellows enough. So, so there you are now. That's the stroke for a thousand pounds. For the gold cup of sperm oil, my heroes. Three cheers, man. All hearts alive! Easy, easy. Now don't be in a hurry. Why don't you snap your oars, rascals? Bite something, you dogs. So, so, so then. Softly, softly. That's it, that's it. Long and strong. Give way there, give way. Devil fetch you, you ragamuffins, rapscallions. Can't you pull? Pull, won't you? Pull and break something! Pull and start your eyes out! Here! That's it! That's it! Stub's boat pulls up along Starbuck's, The Starbuck whispers to his men. Stub wants a quick word with Starbuck. Strong. Strong, boys. Go on. Give way. Bye down. Row. Hi. Aye. Hi. Aye. Aye, Mr. Starbuck. Quick word. Aye. Yes, Mr. Stubb. Row there. Come on now. Row, give way. What'll it be, Stub? Hi. Row, go on. Give way. Come on now. Mr. Starbuck, what do you think of that crew, huh? Mm. That's a sad thing, Mr. Stubb. Seems they were smuggled aboard somehow before the ship sailed. Strong boys, give way, strong. Come on. Aye. Sad business, Mr. Stubb. There's hogsheads of sperm hey. and that's what you came for. Pull me, boys. Aye, aye, I thought as much. As soon as I clapped eyes upon them, and I, I thought so. Aye. And that's why Ahab went into the afterhold so often. They were hidden down there. This white whale is at the bottom of it, huh? Well, well, so be it. Can't be helped. All right. Well, give way, man. It ain't the white whale today. Give way. Ishmael begins thinking to himself. He remembers the crew and the shadowy fog in the early morning of Nantucket. This situation has awakened a strong superstition in the entire Pequod's crew. But for the time being, they let go of it and focus on the hunt. At least those who had lowered. Ahab's crew pulled far ahead of the others. This was a ferociously strong crew. Ishmael speaks of the speed the small boat traveled. The men seemed machines as their oars rose and fell like five-trip hammers. Fedala was seen pulling the head of the harpooner's oar. He had removed his black jacket and showed his bare chest as they were far ahead of everyone else. And Ahab stands on the bow, holding the steering oar. The pod of whales lowered into the ocean and out of sight. As all boats come to a stop, and the mates order everyone to stand and look out for signs of movement in the water. Ah, quick, quick. Stand up. He stands and, with an intense focus and his savage appearance, gazes along the horizon. Starbuck stood coolly on the bow as the boat jerked left and right. And far off, Flask stands short in his boat, balanced upon the very tip. Now big and tall Dagu, the dark-skinned harpooner with golden hoops in his ears, as he remembers, absolutely massive. He moves to the back of the boat and offers himself as a masthead as he pats his shoulders. Dagoo was uh, in Flask's boat. He presented his flat palm to a short little flask, and with one dexterous motion, he flings flask up upon his shoulders, and balances him there. Ishmael mentions to us the incredible and unconscious skill of having this sort of balance while on a moving boat, remaining in erect posture while being pitched about by the cross-running seas. is very difficult. Now, over in Smooth Stubbs' boat, in his mind. He strongly considers the possibility that the whales are long gone by now, and so he lights his pipe, pulling it from his hat band where he always kept it like a feather. He loads it, shoves it down with his thumb, and as he strikes a match on his rough palm, he'd barely lit the pipe when Tashigo again spotted the whales off in the distance, and instantly all crews began to give way towards the landsmen. To a landman, no whale would have been spotted only scattered puffs of vapor on the horizon of greenish-white. In the distance, the air curled and waved as the air over a hot plate would. All boats were on the hot pursuit of that location, and these sailors knew the spouts to be those of the swimming sperm whales. As for what Ahab said to his crew to get them to perform as they were, Ishmael says that these words are better left omitted and unsaid for only infidel sharks should give ear to such words, as Ahab with tornado brow and eyes of red murder, foam-glued lips, leaps after his prey. Indeed, it is a madness and a true evil that comes out of him. Nothing in this world could hold him back from this, as he gives chase to his personified demons. But don't give up on Ahab yet. I'm telling you, there is a touch of humanity left So, somehow in this instance Herman Melville has managed to maintain his course of action with approaching the reader. Indeed, he never loses his sense of awareness and airiness and utmost humor. Humor is something that is ever-present in this story and Herman Melville's writing, but it's not always up front. It's the small things, like the way Flask is balanced upon Dagoo's back, the way Stubb speaks to his men, But then there's that ever-looming feeling of dread, wonder, adventure, and beauty. Just incredible, Herman. Now to the oarsmen of these boats, it was of utmost importance that they do one thing, and only one thing. Pull that boat like their mother's lives depended on it. No ears, no eyes, only bodies ramming the skewers through their necks as they gave way, or pulled the oars. Now Ismail gives us a proper description of the scene as it stills. Wonder and awe as the vast sea swells around them. The all-powerful ocean. Now we are described the wondrous feelings of gliding along the ocean in one of these small boats. If you've ever been rowing at sea, you know what he means. The surging swells tearing at the gunnels, The rushing of the water beside the boats. The salt spraying in their eyes. The cries of the harpooners and shaking, gasping breaths of the rowers. While far behind the white pequod gleams in the sunlight, the water danced white as it was disturbed by the whales. Clouds came overhead, and the sea became increasingly darker. Casting shadows upon the blue sea top, jets of vapor no longer in one bunch, but singling out as the whales seemed to separate. The boats were pulled more apart. Three whales took off to the side, and Starbuck's boat gave chase. The boat Ishmael was in raised a small sail. The wind was rising, and they began shooting along the water after the swimmers, so quickly that the rowers could no longer row, or the oars would be yanked from the oarlocks. Soon, the weather and the speed mixed, and the boats were shooting through a shroud of mist, unable to see each other. If you think these descriptions sound outlandish or exaggerated, I assure you, these instances are very, very real. Starbuck whispers to his men as the wind goes by and the ocean swells. Give way, men. There's still time to kill a fish before the squall comes. There's that white water again. Close to... spring! He's hooked over here. Aye, Queequeg, oh, uh, stand up By the look in Queequeg's eyes, they knew the whale was very close There was enormous wallowing sound and the whale rose and fell Tons of water falling upon its hump The boat was still booming through the mist at high speed And hissing all around them Queequeg There, there, give it to it the whale stopped short and the boat came full force onto its back the sail collapsed and cracked in two a gush of scalding hot vapors shot up all around them beneath them the whale tumbled like an earthquake the whole crew of the boat was flung into the white curdled and cream of rising storm waters Mere feet away from them were powerful creatures the size of a semi, that could easily pummel you with one soft flick of its flukes. Its mere swimming next to you in peace would throw you for a loop, and these whales were being hunted. Some were already stuck by the harpoons, and so they were in flight, and often thrashed about in the waters. The whale had only been grazed by the iron, though. Queequeg's view, obscured by the fog, and seemed to escape. Although the boat was nearly sunk, it remained intact. The men swam around and picked up their oars, Queequeg and Ishmael included. The crew tumbled back into the boats, but the water had rose to their knees. The wind around increased to a howl. The waves dashed their bucklers together. The storm began to roar and split, crackling around them like a white fire. As we sat in that coral-fed boat, we were in that fire but unconsumed, and so we burned. In the immortal jaws of death, we hailed the other boats, the shadows of night pressed in upon us. We could not save the boat. The oars became useless then, only being used as life preservers. Starbuck lights a small lantern in his hands and hands it to Queequeg. There sat Queequeg then, a symbol of a man without faith and yet hopelessly holding up hope in the midst of despair. Through the middle of the night they rode back toward the Pequod. As they were soaked completely through. They were now miles away from the Pequod and in a storm as well. They rode on until they saw the sparkle of dawn in the far distance. The mist still spread over the sea. Suddenly, Queequeg jumps up, putting his hand to his ear. A faint creaking, ropes and yards, muffled by the storm. The sound came nearer, and the thick mists were parted by a huge form in the storm. Surprised, they all jumped up as the Pequod came into view, bearing down upon them not far away. Mostly abandoned of all crew. They scrambled up into the great boat, and before the squall rose up again, the boats had been cut loose and returned to the Pequod. The ship had given them up, but was still cruising, as if it might happily come across some sign of its crew perishing, a lone oar or lance pole. And so, Ishmael had viewed all of this as a member of Starbuck's crew, along with Queequeg. Although Ishmael was most likely rowing or something along those lines, this would be Ishmael's very first true whaling experience. And now, as he is the last man pulled aboard, he describes to us and vents about what has just happened. It's shaken him up more so than he had initially let on. He even gets a bit philosophical about how we view our lives in a short chapter called The Hyena. It is called the hyena because of the way Ishmael describes us as we face traumatic events in our lives. It's a great analogy, and one that took me quite a while to get my head around. It's written in quite the poetic fashion. This short chapter also calls to the quote from the novel. I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. Unquote. Now the short chapters serve as some awareness of himself, Ishmael and his acceptance of his death, and not only that, but his fate, whatever it may be. He realizes how truly dangerous this voyage is, and how easily he may die. So why is it called the Hyena? Because Hyena always seem to be laughing. Almost as if indifferent to all the danger in the world. When in fact they are not laughing at all. But that's a different topic. Indeed, laughing in the face of danger, whether it be out of ignorance or pride, it happens. Well, Ishmael says here that there are odd times in life when a man takes the universe for one big practical joke. Things happen to us. Funny, odd, difficult things. And we wonder why. It can feel like we're getting played, as if we're just pawns in a game. But... It can also seem like it's only happening to us. In this life we accept all kinds of crazy and ridiculous things. Things we can see. Things we can't see. Concepts that are beyond our boundaries. This world is truly crazy. Aye. Ismail is afraid to die. And a new mood is coming over him. One where he accepts danger and is almost indifferent to it. After being in such strong tribulation, these small things feel almost a joke, I suppose. I would imagine this is how people feel after being through a war. After being so close to all of this terrible, spirit-deafening violence, bullets just feed away from your head. You'd come home and find the danger of a freeway or something like that, just an absolute joke. You would wonder how people can be so simple-minded and unworried. I'd imagine something like this is falling over Ishmael. As he's pulled aboard the Pequod, he immediately asks Queequeg. Queequeg, my fine friend, is this sort of thing normal on this kind of voyage? The look Q gave Ishmael told him that indeed this sort of thing did happen quite often. Now we see cool Stubb buttoning up his jacket and lighting up his pipe in the rain, smoking coolly, and Ishmael prize. Mr. Stubb, I thought I heard you say that of all the whalemen you ever met, <coughs> our chief mate, Mr. Starbuck, is by far the most careful and prudent. So I suppose that reaching right on the back of a whale with your sails set in a foggy storm is that the height of a whaleman's discretion mr. Stubb? aye certain I've lowered for whales from a leaking ship in a gale off Cape Horn sir Ishmael now Ishmael is frustrated he turns to Mr. Flask and asks him something similar is a oarsman to break his own back, pulling himself to certain jaws of death. And he does have a point. How could these people expect him to put his life on the line like this? Is his life worth nothing? He pulls back forward toward certain death. It just seems senseless to him, though he did sign up for this. And uh, Ishmael begins to ask him, with a lot of -of matter-of-fact language, Flask waves him away and says, Can't you twist that smaller? Basically asking Ishmael if he could just use less words, basically. It's a great self-awareness in writing and shows the purposefulness of every character. Flask assures him that yes, that's the law. That's what is expected of him. I'd like to see a crew pull up on a whale face first. The whale is sure to give them squint for squint. Mind that. Now, Ishmael has more realizations. He's been reassured by three sources that what he feared is true. Squalls and storms happen often. In the heat of the moment, he must resign his life into the hands of the man that steered the small boat. Well, taking all these things into account, Starbuck, chief mate, is supposed to be one of the most careful and considerable mates. And if that's what they call careful in the whale fishery. And considering the object of my captain's obsession, the white whale, I belong to Starbucks' small crew in this devil's chase. Considering all these things, I might as well go below and make a rough draft of my will. Quick quick, come along. You shall be my lawyer, executor, and legatee. Oh, Ishmael, in fact, does go below and write his, writes his will. He tells us that this is the fourth time in his life he's written one. And he feels much better afterwards. He feels that like every day given to him is now a gain, a plus, an extra, a win. He survived himself. His death and burial were locked up on his chest. He felt what tranquil. A quiet ghost with a clean conscience, sitting inside a snug family tomb. I roll up my sleeves of my shirt. Here goes for a cool, collected dive at death and destruction. And devil fetch the hindmost. That's going to conclude today's episode of Night Reader, episode 21. Now, I'm sure a lot of you were wondering, especially listeners from the beginning, where Night Reader has been the past few weeks. Well, I'm never going to stop this venture no matter what, I realize it slowed down a lot. And that's due to a lot of different things. But I thank you guys so much for understanding and sticking with me throughout all this. Um, one main thing is that I'm devoting a lot of my time to homeschooling one of my children. Um, and that's taking a lot of my energy, a lot of my focus, and a lot of my soul and stuff like that. Um, and it's been fantastic and it's been lovely. But it's been so difficult to not be able to delve into, um, you know, my writings and my, my podcast and other things I care about. Um, so I'm getting back in the flow with it. I suppose this is a bit like season two. And uh, we're going to keep rocking and rolling. We're going to get through this book. And we're going to keep doing your favorite reads. Keep inspiring you guys and speaking with you guys from all around the world and hearing what you guys think and listening to your outlooks and um, hopefully inspiring many from uh, anyone who hears this. That would be really, really great. If I just reach one person and inspire one person to read this book or to create something of their own, then all of my time has been worth it. But I thank you again for being here and for sticking it out and for lasting with me. I know this book is a toughie, and um, I speak a lot about it in prior episodes, about, you know, different ways we can come across this book initially and be turned off by it or, you know, not understand it correctly. To no faults of, of your own um. It happens to the best of us, to anyone, really, and it can do with many different things, you know, circumstances and other things like that. But what I'm here for is to help you get through this and to realize, you know, there's there's beauty in these classics, and uh, you don't always gotta listen to the the critics. Um, you know, make up your own mind. Um, so I'll offer you what I'll offer you, and I'll give you, you know, my insights, my offers, and uh, obviously I have a huge passion for this book, and I love bringing it to life for you guys. Um, So if it entertained you at all, uh, if you enjoyed it, if you learned anything, please reach out to me. Let me know, um, because it really helps me keep going. Anyways, uh, thank you guys so much. I'm going to keep this going, rocking and rolling. Find me on Instagram, uh, YouTube, wherever you find me, Facebook. uh, Like, you can leave me a nice review on um, Apple Podcasts if you enjoy. You can follow on Spotify, subscribe to me there. You can also put on Spotify, um, put me on one of your top favorite five uh, songs or podcasts that'd be really cool anyways thank you guys so much uh thanks to jr from facebook for food for thought uh, thanks for caroline hack for the awesome inspiration from facebook uh the melville society um anyone who supported me through the melville society um the berkshire museums um everyone who listens all my listeners thank you guys so much uh, so yeah be on the lookout for more keep out um keep up with me personally day to day on instagram Nightreader podcast and um i'll see you guys next time okay so this episode of night reader was produced and written and performed by dylan c um so go on drop your swords pick up your pens and your reading spectacles let us read on